The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Measured. I'm McDonaghy, and my guest today is... Hi guys, welcome to season two of our new freshly named show, Measured with McDonaghy. I decided to slightly rebrand the podcast as somehow I decided to run with a name last season that was already being used on multiple platforms. With the new name comes somewhat of a different style of interview and conversation. My goal is to bring as much value to you as possible. I believe to bring value, you need tangible pieces of takeaway information that you can implement into your career and everyday life. So the new format of the show will focus significantly on measuring success, creating high-performing teams, developing a winning routine, evolving as a business leader, entrepreneur, or technical person, developing resilience, and building the characteristics of someone who gets promoted and much, much more. The first season of the show, I focused on bringing a variety of guests for you to hear from. However, the majority of those did come from the quantity surveying and estimating industries. However, as we know, construction is a hot pot of culture, nationalities and experiences that we can learn from. I truly believe that quantity surveyors can learn from architects, for example, and architects can learn from engineers, and engineers can learn from builders. And so the show develops. Measured with McDonaghy will become a show where you can learn from those who have been there and done it, as well as those who are here and doing it. From entrepreneurs running multi-million dollar enterprises to the technical titans doing it on the cold face that you're most likely have never heard from. Measured, therefore, will focus on being the weekly partner to your career where you can check in, learn, develop, and grow no matter what you do within the construction industry. And without further ado, the first episode of Season 2, Bid Manager of GCB Constructions, Lee Lambert. Today on Measured, we are joined by Lee Lambert. Lee originally studied a Bachelor of Science in Construction Management at Leeds University. Lee has went on to hold senior level roles with international civil infrastructure businesses such as John Holland and McConnell Dahl, where he has held various senior level roles, including estimating manager, bid manager and pre-construction manager. Currently, Lee is the bid and business development manager of a leading Queensland construction business called GCB Constructions. We're really excited to have Lee on the show today. Lee, how's it going? Good, mate. Good. Thanks for the invite. 
have you br- brushed off all the cobwebs after after Christmas? <laughs> Mate, the the older you get, the harder it is to start the brain cells back up again. Oh, yeah, this, this week's been very very tough. I think the first couple <laughs> of days got home just sat on the couch and the head was very heavy. Oh, very very good, very good. So what we're what we're going to do is um we're we're going to start off the show in in a different format than we previously um started off the off the shows in in, in the first season. So we've rebranded the show a little bit. It's now called Measured with, with McDonaghy. We're going to discuss the, the motivations, the, the methodologies behind your your career, Lee. Um, so we, we'd like to start off the show today by asking you, how do you measure success? Success for me is never a short-term target. Um, if you try and measure success on a month-by-month basis in construction, you're going to burn for people. You're going to have a lot of false indicators. The easy analogy against that is when people talk about tender strike rates so everyone's Mm -hmm. saying oh i'm one in four and one in three it means fuck all if you're aiming for big big revenue and you're getting one or three on your small jobs you're not getting big big revenue if you're then losing money on those small jobs you're failing across the board so there's no such thing as a short win in construction so it's it's a battle i've had all through my career Mm -hmm. uh particularly places like John Holland and McConnell Dale, where you, you're kind of tendering probably 20 jobs a year. And they never, they never come sequentially because it's big, big government projects. So you've probably got three on the go at once and then you end up with a big gap and you've got to go again. So that's, that's quite hard, particularly when you've got nothing going through the department. You know what's coming, so you're gearing up for it. But when people are walking past and you don't have jobs on your desk today people can look at that as a failing i always used to flip it on its head saying we're we're using the time to investigate the job find out what we can understand who's involved talk to the consultants get that kind of prior insight so yeah success particularly in construction is never a a short-term goal i mean even across the board if you measure a ca on being able to buy his first three packages well you'll probably find at the end of the job he's run out of budget because he's moved budget from somewhere to create a big win over here. You get to the end of the job and he's run out of money. Mm. So success is hard to measure in construction. It's not a simple demographic. Yeah, that, that's actually, it's quite, 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 quite interesting that they should say that. I'd actually never had thought of that before. Like I was speaking to uh, an estimating manager yesterday, one of the top construction companies in Australia. And he told me that they currently don't have anything to, to tender on this month. Mm. I guess the, the CEO or the directors could com- come down and, and really sort of um, bring the hatchet down on, on someone, like, someone like that. But I guess <laughs> you've got to look at it long-term, as you say. You, you can't just look at it day by day. Yeah, look, I, I'll, I'm not going to mention the company, but I, I walked into an organization um, that had quite a new CEO and he did the exact same thing. This this guy flew in from Johannesburg. I went on a tour with him around Australia, myself and two or three other senior managers of this business. And he was absolutely seething because he expected to walk into every single office and see every single bum on a chair with mm. a stack of jobs lists. And like we, it really doesn't work like that. I mean, that's how you burn people. Yeah. Really, if that's how you operate in your business, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it took him, and he he wasn't from a construction background. He was a very, very senior kind of executive level guy, but he'd come from a completely different industry. 
Yeah. Um, but it, it, he, he, he learned the benefit. Yeah. It takes us all a while to learn things. But once he understood the benefit in it, and then he saw how hard people are working when the work is there, he, he really changed his understanding. And that was part of his learning curve in the industry as well. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's that's a that's a, a pretty pretty interesting story. I know that there's there's quite a, a a number of of new CEOs come from you know might be sort of financial backgrounds or accountancy or, or something like that that come in and try and treat the construction industry like the industry that that, that they come through from from before. Which I, from what I know, it doesn't work. I can tell you, being a POM, the first time I came to Australia, I wanted to bring in a lot of English things that I'd been doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I was in WA previously, and I thought, I'm going to change the world in WA because I'm going to do this and this and this. And nobody buys into it because this is how we do it, and we don't do things like this. So I, I had to learn as well. I actually quite openly failed at it the first couple of times, just trying to push people to do things that they weren't used to doing and, and things that weren't done in the markets over there. Yeah, that, that was part of my growth as well. I I learned quite a lot from it. Yeah, it's a bloody frustrating time to be fair. <laughs> so so go, go, going back then, what what's your first memory of of working in construction, Lee? My first real memory is probably the first couple of jobs I did as a site manager when I very first started. So I started out as a chippy on a an apprentice scheme working for a small builder. I was probably two thirds of the way through, and they offered me a, a role in the office as a kind of trainee site manager, which I took. But one of my fondest memories in construction was on that site. It was a barn conversion up in the Pennines in the UK, which is very, very wind-torn country, like gale force breezes every single day. (laughs) We were doing a barn conversion, digging underpinned foundations in frozen clay, like minus nine degrees with a wind chill factor, at least minus 30. You wouldn't have been surprised seeing penguins walk <laughs> there was me and nine other guys there with his little grafting shovels, the little tiny things that literally stabbing into the clay. And that, like, that was a, a very difficult, challenging job, but it yeah. was so much fun. It really, really was. That was my first project as a site manager. So mm-hmm. it was more than just being on the tools. And again, I, I failed quite a lot because I'd walk past and I'd see something from a, a carpentry point of view that wasn't done. And I'd go and do that. But then I'd forget to order stuff that was supposed to come next week for the brickies when they were turning up. Yeah. That that was a was a key part of my learning curve getting shouted at. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Well, you, you've got to feel in order to learn, though, haven't you? You know, like yeah. when, yeah. I'm, when I'm trying oh, to. You, you learn more from your failures. I'm oh, a big, sure. big believer in that. I think I've learned more in the last 12 months through this COVID thing than, than I have, like in the last five or six years. It's, it's been <laughs> been incredible. So, um, where, 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 did, where did you grow up then, Lee? Uh, so I'm from a little town in South Yorkshire called Doncaster, a um, little mining town. It's one of the areas that was absolutely decimated when uh, Margaret Thatcher shut all the pits. My dad was a miner, but he was a, a safety netting specialist, like doing all the, the netting on the roof. He wasn't actually picking the coal out. So when they shut our local pit, we were lucky enough to get offered a, well, my dad was lucky enough to get offered a job in Gibraltar. So we moved over there for we're in Gibraltar for six years in the late 90s uh, late 80s when quite a lot of stuff happened there James Bond was filmed there (laughs) a couple of IRAs guys got shot there Uh, Queen came yeah and then we we came back and pretty much from that point I'd always been fascinated with 
construction and how things come together and mm-hmm. I think it was probably more of the demolition side of it my mum always used to yell at me for smashing Lego up, oh, so really? I you, might you, still be in the wrong industry <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you, you like to build it then smash it down pretty uh, much yeah, yeah the smash it down was the fun part but then yeah. the tidying up never happened either oh no I, I can imagine I guess um, you, you touched on it just a little bit early but what was the real sort of driver for you to get in, getting into construction was it because I, I guess some people fall into into these industries. Like, what what was your reason? I'd always wanted to be in construction. I can't quite put my my finger on a, a single reason. I was always fascinated with particularly all the big, glassy skyrise buildings mm. and and big bridge structures and things like that. So I was quite fascinated with that as a kid and trying to build or replicate it with Lego. Mm-hmm. It's varied. It's incredibly varied. I guess what what sort of struggles did 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 you face at the, the beginning of your career? You, you touched on it a little bit there about being being based on site and uh, working as a site manager. What were those first few years like for you? Look, the the first couple of jobs were a lot of fun, probably because I was pissing around more than actually doing my job. Yeah, um, but kind of, I think it was maybe eighteen, nineteen, and I was running quite a large project for the business, for a, a client that we knew very, very well. That involved a lot of, like, we, we used to carry a lot of guys. We had a lot of chippies, a lot of brickies, plasterers, plumbers, sparkies on the books. But then for the larger jobs, we'd, we'd subcontract them in. And I can remember a particular instance of arguing with a sparky and a plasterer, and it was purely a lack of respect from the sparky. He just didn't want to do his job. Mm-hmm. He's got some young punk site manager asking him to do certain things, and he mm-hmm. was just... He just wanted to cause problems. Yeah, that was a big challenge, and it, I learned a lot from it. More how to talk to people, and I mean, the organisation that I worked for, they, they weren't very advanced or very structured, and there was no official mm-hmm. training um, yeah. of any sort. Um, yeah. the, the father that sorted the business out, he tended to do things by running with an iron fist and screaming and yelling. Yeah. Um, I've figured out pretty quickly being an 18 year old kid, that's not going to work for me. I'm just going to get a punch in the face. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I came up with different ways of doing things and, and arguing with reason and, mm-hmm. and never raising your voice. Mm. I, I, I learned that very, very young. And I, I do think that's really helped my career, particularly in the tendering side of things where it does get very hot and it gets very prickly and, deadlines are deadlines and they never move come hell or high water if you're running around with your hair on fire it's not a, a great sign of leadership yeah no you're you're you're, you're, you're just right and, and i guess when you think back to those those times now lee is, is is there anything that you're you're particularly thankful for you know like if, are you thankful for having went through those hard days of being based out on site and getting thrown yeah, into the deep end definitely i i it's easy to sit back and whinge about it and, and complain, but um, you, you learn a lot by doing that. And mm-hmm. I've had a number of project managers work for me over the years who've just come straight out of university and never really stepped on site, particularly things like QSs as well, client-side mm-hmm. QSs. Not that I'm bagging them all, by the way, but a lot of guys come out with a, a piece of paper proclaiming to be the, the greatest in the world. And you find there's a fundamental lack of understanding of how things work on site. Mm-hmm. Um I can recall doing a project in Manchester. I worked on the Cheatham Tower over there. There was a lot of changes that happened on the, I think it was a level 70-something or 60-something, a couple of penthouses up there. And we were arguing with this uh, young PQS about the 
how much the stone cost around the entrance for it. It was all bookmatched stone, so the grain flies all the way through. Mm-hmm. That, that stuff's generally got about an 80% attrition rate, which means you've got to buy an extra 108, well, you need to buy 180% to do the wall. Right. Um, and he was just arguing and arguing and arguing. I had no real understanding of it. Now, the, the guys that I were working for, quite frankly, were being a little bit rude to him. It was quite clear to me he didn't understand what the argument was. And mm-hmm. I suggested that we just have a walk around site and literally just sat the tiles next to him. And he, he then started to understand mm-hmm. all the tiles that go to waste to be able to get this book match in. The, the issue went away pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you, sh- when you show someone the visual side of things, like when you mm-hmm. actually take them to, to, to the well and, and show them that there's no water there. <laughs> oh, look, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can't see, but one of my office walls is just completely full of whiteboard and it's always vandalized. <laughs> it looks like a kid's <laughs> just attacked it. That's that's awesome. So I I, I guess um you know j- during those you know early early stages of, of cutting your teeth in, in in your career was there anything that you had to change about yourself in terms of like your mindset or priorities or, or anything like that? Mindset, a degree of it was more patience. I'd say a lot of it was behaviours that had to change. Coming into construction the way I did, I mean, I can remember being on site and getting a clip around the ear. Mm-hmm. And th- that was just the norm then. I mean, it, it's it's furthest thing from the norm nowadays. Quite rightly yeah. as well. I mean, it's not that. That's how I learned. That's how that generation learned. And there's better ways of doing it, which we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, the changes that have happened, I think everyone's just grown into those changes. So I, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I can't put the, a finger on the answer. Yeah, no, no, I understand that completely. But it shows you how much the industry has evolved as well. Mm. Oh, definitely. Like, like I, I, when I left school, I, I thought I wanted to be an architect, and my old man's a, a plumber, and he, he, he basically used to say to me, like, we, we throw stones at architects when they, when they come on site, <laughs> and, I, and I, I guarantee that he did throw stones at architects. Like he I was, can imagine, you know, mate, I can imagine. <laughs> um, so, so how did you get involved in, in estimating and the, and the pre-contract side of things? Mate, like a lot of people just fell into it um so i was working for a large company in the uk which unfortunately is no longer around but they were a fantastic organization with a a great culture a huge organization billion pound a year revenue um i started with them as a site manager and i met the procurement director who was basically the pre-construction director i met him one day walking around site and he said to me you're in the wrong job come and see me next week and we'll put you in the right job Mm-hmm. So he put me into bid management and I couldn't write worth shit. I was a joiner. <laughs> I convinced things to move with a hammer and a lot of swearing <laughs> normally. So I, I needed quite a lot of polishing, but I, I got into the bid management programming and particularly estimating. And it was purely by fluke. There was no design or intention there. Yeah. And that was probably more than 15 years ago now. So I, I spent easily 10 years estimating both in the UK and in Australia. And then just as I've progressed, all these different skills that I've picked up along the way have just kind of shone through. And, and that's the direction that I've, I've kind of found myself going into. It's funny how one person can have such a major impact on your life in terms oh, of the direction absolutely. that you go. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and kind of molding that rough diamond. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what were the characteristics do you think that he may have seen in you at that time? 
I think I was a cheeky little shit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was uh, thinking you'd have good sort of communication skills, like maybe... Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, uh, kind of taking the piss, he always used to say I could walk into a dark room and light it up just by chatting oh. shit. Yeah. Make people yeah. laugh. The behaviours that I had fitted to get stuff done on site, but mm-hmm. he's saying that's not really where those kind of behaviours offer the best benefit. You mm-hmm. really need to be in the front end, engaging with clients, engaging with consultants, subcontractors to get the price in it's mm-hmm. those kind of relationships and those behaviors will serve you a lot better in pre-construction than actually in construction yeah so it, I, I just followed the rabbit down the hole and then i got offered a role in australia and now live on the gold coast so i'm not going to complain about yeah, it no, fair, fair enough but it's quite funny isn't it like how, how you, you would say uh you know i know you're being a bit of tongue-in-cheek but chat, chat and shit but the reality of it is like the communication skills and like emotional intelligence and, and ha- being able to, you know, read, read a room or read uh, so- someone else's current vibe. You know, th- they're the things that you can't really hard to teach people, you know, and that's nearly people when companies are hiring, they're nearly buying yeah. that, you know? Yeah, they are. And, and my current role, that's exactly what they, what they needed. I mean, the, the organization had, a lot of work in a very singular market and very few relationships outside of those markets. And that was my job to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, so six, six months in and, and we're, we're changing the world slowly, but surely. And nice. again, you can't measure success in small doses in construction, but th- there's plenty of demographics to point mm-hmm. if you're heading in the right direction or you're, you're, you're chasing a dead end, but everything that we're looking at so far, we're, we're definitely heading in the right direction. Right. When you've been in these sort of management le- le- level roles, Lee, like your estimating manager, pre-contracts manager, how, how have you went around sort of building a high-performing team or uh, you know a strong company culture? High-performing teams is is very simple for me. It's I, I never walk into an interview thinking I need to ask an estimator whether he knows how to estimate. I've, mm-hmm. I've got to work on the base assumption that he can estimate and he's a competent estimator. A lot of it then is, does he fit the business culturally? I mean, we obviously recruited through yourself a while ago, and I think that was the main question that I kept asking you. Culturally, mm-hmm. is he going to fit? Is he going to fit? Uh, he is, by the way. Excellent, excellent fit. Yep. Um, but th- that's the main thing. You, you can bring people who aren't 100% into a, an organization with a good, supportive culture, mm-hmm. and those people will start very quickly becoming 120 130 percent yeah so you you you, fo- it, you focus on the on the kind of the character of the individual as opposed yes. to per- personality just- strengths mm-hmm. strengths and weaknesses as well obviously you don't <laughs> you don't yeah. need to discuss that in an open forum that's things that you can identify and try and mitigate as a manager the big thing is the cultural fit you you can have the the best estimator in the world but if he's if he's not a team player, if he wants to be a lone superstar, he's going to cause issues and strife. And that, that's ultimately a bad result. Are estimators, do they work well on a team? On a whole, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. But I have had one or two who didn't and, and weren't interested. I mean, when I walked into McConnell Dow, we had five estimators and none of them spoke to each other. They were all at completely separate ends of the office. It was, mm. it, it was ridiculous, to be honest. Yeah. So one of the first things I did was move everyone into a, a cluster so they were all together. Now, that upset 
a few of them and a few of them did leave the business but then we we brought in new guys fresh energy fresh ideas and we brought it into a cluster and we had a very we had a business that was in a lot of distress but we had a very high performing pre-construction team we had some very solid bd guys we had some excellent design managers excellent estimators we turned the business around in less than two and a half years from going through pretty much a 300 million dollar loss and zero potential revenue opportunities. In two years, we turned it around to a, a profitable $380 million a year business, mm-hmm. and it was continuing to grow. We, we'd identified clients and projects and opportunities, and that pipeline was just growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned McConnell Dahl, they, they are traditionally involved in infrastructure. Mm. I, I guess... How have you made that transition between working in civil and working in building? Because not many people do. It's a slightly different mindset. You you tend to find kind of both sides of the equation have a very Robin Hood opinion of Mm -hmm. civil engineers are civil engineers and they can't do building and builders have the same opinion. But when you actually put people into this stuff that's outside of the comfort zone, there's one or two ways it goes. They either really enjoy it and, and jump in kind of both feet first or they revert back and and hate it and they just become a a a negative issue in there Mm -hmm. my changeover was fascinating because i'm just a i'm a construction geek so Mm -hmm. first couple of really big roads jobs that i was looking at in wa i thoroughly enjoyed it i was learning all kinds of stuff like the old mantra of learning something new every day. I mean, yeah. we moved down to um, Oricon's office. I had a team of nine estimators and three design managers all sat in Oricon's office. Yeah. And I probably had the most interesting eight or nine months of my life, just yeah. learning so much about uh, freeway design and railway interfaces, all this kind of stuff. Just interesting stuff for a building geek. Yeah. See, that, that that's that's awesome because there's so many people that I know would love to try and get into the other side of the coin, the the, the horizontal builds or the or, or the vertical builds. It does seem to be it's challenged. You know, there's there's a bit of a stigma there. Once you're building, you're building. It, no, there there is there is, and I've I've come across it quite a lot previously. I mean, I I, I was approached to go and see a, a civil business. Uh, it was probably two and a half three years ago, and I I went to meet these guys, and they were nervous because. My CV is a, a good balance. Like uh, mm-hmm. dollar-wise, I've probably done more civil projects than building, mm-hmm. but sheer quantum of of uh, physical tenders put in, it's more building than civils. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these guys were worried about it, and I'm mm-hmm. asking, like, why? Why are you worried? The experience is there. Just bring something else to the table. Mm-hmm. And they're quite frankly, their mindset I found very closed. Like, oh mm-hmm. well, you're not an engineer, so I don't really think you're going to work here. Mm. It happens all the time. That, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I find it fundamentally wrong to be mm. honest, but I'm not going to change the world. Sat here whinging to you. <laughs> so, what what are the three non-negotiable characteristics that that someone needs to possess when when they join your 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 team? A bit of a personality. There's nothing worse than if you've got a cluster of four, five, six estimators or, or uh, any role, four, five, six guys. And somebody in there doesn't talk, they don't socially interact, they rock up at nine and just sit and hammer through the keyboard and leave at five. There's no engagement through people like that. And that mm. that can 
it can drive quite a negative culture i found mm-hmm. not not mm-hmm. that that person is particularly negative but just their their mindset of oh, i just want to sit here and, and purely do my work and not interact with anyone i mean you i think what's the statistics you spend 70 percent of your grown life at work mm-hmm. some ridiculous number like that you need to be able to get on with these people and and if you've got somebody who's culturally not going to be the right fit, it can be very painful and, and difficult for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And the, the old adage of it only takes one bad egg, and it really does. I've, I've seen it so many times throughout my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've been in, in, in offices before as well where it takes one individual can pass the bucket on to, to the entire team, and, and then, you've mm. got, then you've got real problems. Yeah, but you mentioned obviously personalities is one. What what would be the other two main characteristics they need to have? A, a positive outlook as well. Particularly estimators, the the do tend to be a an interesting bunch. Um, <laughs> but I've I've met and interviewed quite a few guys who the the glass is never half full. It's probably more half half spilt on the floor with a broken glass. You know, you, you need to. Estimating by its nature, you lose more than you win. Yeah. Right? So you need to have a very strong, positive mindset. Otherwise, mm. people go postal very, very easily. Yeah. You've got to be. You've got to be resilient. I'd imagine in, in estimating because you, you do. I mean, you, you get kicked an awful lot. Yeah. You, even if you've got a very successful strike, say one in three. You know, you you still you're losing two jobs to every one that you win. So absolutely. You. you as painful as it is, you almost get used to losing. But the the big thing is not to is to really hate that losing factor. Yeah, you have to have a thick skin. I I, I can imagine. In your opinion, then, uh, having worked in the in the, the in these types of senior level roles, but what do you think that the main difference is between a manager and a, and a leader? I don't know if you can recall, but there's a a meme that was going round before memes were ever invented, um, which was just a, a picture of. A guy sat on one of the big Egyptian blocks and he's whipping the yeah. slaves and they were saying that's a manager, whereas the leader's actually out the back and he's pushing. Yeah. That speaks volumes for me. I've mm-hmm. I've never been um, standoffish. Um mm-hmm. if I can see anyone in my team's struggling and I'm leaving at four thirty, five o'clock, I'm quite frankly not doing my job. Yeah. I think that's always helped me through my career. I've always been just roll the sleeves up and, and get on with it. If there's any value I can add to anything, I'm, I'm more than happy to to get involved in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that kind of mindset has helped me throughout all these different roles that I've had in my career. Yeah. Uh, so you, you need to be flexible. You can't have a siloed mentality. No, for, for sure. And I think you, 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 do, you do see it in a lot of these um, like American films, you know, like these guys who... Back in back in the eighties, coming in in the work and just treating everyone like like shit, and that there would I there would I cubicle throwing stuff at them, <laughs> yeah, and just you, you, like times have changed now. I, I don't even I don't even know if it's going to it still exists. Manage, manage you know the need for a good manager still exists in, in, in a productivity environment in, in some ways, but I guess I think it's getting more and more sort of winged out of of, of the industry. Do you find, I mean, find the same? In my submissions, I, I, I very rarely refer to people as managers. I always call them leaders, and leaders mm-hmm. inspire people to follow, whereas managers just point and shoot. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Now, that, that's not entirely true. I mean, that's a, that's a stereotype, but that, that's I, I feel more strongly if somebody says I'm a competent or a good leader opposed to a competent mm-hmm. or a good manager. Mm-hmm. 
obviously the, the 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 estimating industry it's known for being quite quite full on and and, and typically that that's why estimators are are, are usually at the at the higher level of, of the pay scale what, what what does a typical day day look like for you lee again that that varies massively i mean if you're in the early part of your tender it's probably a get end part it's really then just talking to subcontractors hundreds and hundreds per day yeah. it's getting into those subbies and talking to them understanding the scope where's the risk where's the danger how do we address it is there a better way of addressing it than just throwing money on the bloody uh, on the estimate and that's a, a big thing as well that i always put through my teams that there's always a better way of dealing with risk than just throwing money onto a bid for it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the, the short answer mick is it always changes changes day to day well fair, fair enough that's it's, it's the same as me <laughs> and, and i know that um you know you, you'll obviously have external pressures and and, and family commitments and, and stuff like that you know when you're in the middle of a, a, a peak you know when you're you're, you're a peak period of time where you're really really busy how do you manage that personal commitment and the work that you have to do the short answer is i do it quite badly yeah <laughs> My wife is sympathetic and understands, but yeah. doesn't excuse it. But um, I, I tend to be very deadline focused. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm now at a stage where I can kind of plan it accordingly because, I mean, I, I'll give you, for instance, I, I missed going on a lad's holiday once in the UK because I was just so caught up in this tender and like boys are ringing me. We had a, a six o'clock flight to catch um, one Saturday morning out of Leeds Bradford and I didn't make it because I was putting this tender in until oh. I think we didn't get it finished until like two, three o'clock on the Saturday morning. And then we took it down to the directors for them to sign off. And yeah, I ended up missing the flight and missing the holiday. But that was when I was a bit younger and more naive. I'm now I tend to be a bit more balanced. Yeah. To the point where the, there's very rarely where my wife will make dinner and I'm not home to, to <laughs> get it. Well, that, well, that's, that's the, that's what you've come to Australia for, it is, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, the theme parks and beach life, it's hard. You've always got conflicting deadlines and there's always so many loose ends to sweep up, particularly on the, the larger jobs. I mean, we're, we're targeting stuff now kind of up to $80 million mark. So there's a lot of moving parts in there and there's always a lot of little bits and pieces to, to finalize with a submission and with a number. So it is always, it's frantic at the end and yeah. that's really defines whether somebody stays in estimating or not whether they can handle that yeah do, do you find that a lot of estimators get burned out look since i've been in queensland i'd probably say not but my time in wa particularly with the tier one guys absolutely mm-hmm. some organizations don't deal with it very well other organizations do mm-hmm. um the company i worked for in the uk were incredibly responsive to it uh, to the point where you would always have to kind of swipe in and out of the office um mm-hmm. and there would be an alert that went to the director if you were swiping in at 6 a.m and swiping out at 9 p.m and that guy would then he'd come and see you i can remember him driving down to my house one sunday just knocked on the door we sat there in my bloody underpants watching match of the day <laughs> just <laughs> knock at the door open the door and there's the the pre-construction director what the fuck well, I was panicking. I thought I'd done something massively wrong, and he was there to attack me. I just want to see if you're all right, like. Oh, really? That, I'm a bit I've, nervous, Richard. But <laughs> that's 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 that, quite that nice. That personal though, touch. Mm. Yeah, that that personal touch completely blew me away. 
And quite frankly, if I hadn't been given the opportunity to come to Australia, I would probably, I'd still be working for that guy, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I think that, that's what leadership is, though, isn't it? That that that's the difference. Where I'd it, imagine it, it really is. It. I'd imagine like a manager would be sort of just yeah, you know, might not even say good job, where that leader is going the extra mile. Just keep cracking the whip. <laughs> yeah. What inspires you each day then? My role now's changed an awful lot. So I, I now spend probably 50, 60% of my life now going and talking to clients and um, identifying projects for us to pursue. So my driver at the moment is finding those projects before they go to market, mm-hmm. getting them into our door so we can cost plan them and start looking at them and start building the relationships. And being as, as cynical as I am, I always want to beat my previous employer so that, that's the competition that drives me an extra 20 30 percent oh that's hilarious <laughs> oh that, that's do you know what that, that's so it's so similar to me you know like i remember i've had back at the start of my career i had an interview with hayes and they took me mm. through four they took me to four interviews and then they rejected me and it's just been at the bottom of my stomach for the rest of my life that I have to beat Hayes. Like, <laughs> so that's, that's not, you've got a target. I want to beat them. Yeah, I know. So um, I guess if, on the personal note, if you could have dinner with one person de- dead or alive, who, who would it be? Lee, it's, not, it's surely not going to be an estimator. Please, please don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I'm... Um, I'm I've always been a big fan of kind of natural world leaders, people like Nelson Mandela and, and who have really changed the world. Um, mm-hmm. So although I'd quite like, I, I think I'd quite like to go for a couple of beers with someone like Barack Obama, just yeah. listen to some of the stories he has to tell. But I think if I only had one person to go for dinner with, it'd probably be someone like Nelson Mandela. No, that's, that's awesome. Just because I want, I want to find out how he managed to win the World Cup that year. There's yeah. no way on God's green. <laughs> <laughs> well, what 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 a leader! He's really re- redefined, um, you know, like li- life in, in Get itself. Get a nation to follow you. Yeah, it's and you incredible. look at some people who are currently in charge of different parts of the world at the moment, and I think anyone mentioning leader in the same paragraph as some of those people is offensive. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. I I could I couldn't agree more, Lee. To finish off then, Lee, uh, a few quick quick fire, fire questions. This is a bit of an interesting one. Be keen to see, see, see what you say to this. So if there's one thing you could measure that you currently don't, what would it be? Alcohol consumption, surely. <laughs> don't want to measure that. I'm just yeah. going to get depressed. Or how much I spend on it. Yeah, well. very I'm true. I'm sure my wife measures that. <laughs> Here's a weird one for you then. Work-life balance. I'd like mm. to measure how well you perform over a year managing your workload and managing your social life or your, your home life at least. Yeah, I think like... It's a bit of a cop-out answer. No, but it's, it's, it's actually quite a, quite a good one though as well because in reality, I, think, I feel like this has been a good year for, for sort of resetting a little bit, but also what is work and what's not work? You know, when you're sitting home at, at nighttime and it's, you know... You're, you're, you're half nine at night or whatever and you're still checking your emails like like there's got to be some yeah uh, well, you know that that's not good you know that's what i'm quite bad at i mean i i've i've got a surface now i always work on a surface i, I tend to go home uh, a couple of hours with the kids bedtime stories things like that and then just 
plunk my arse on the couch and you either just put some crap on TV or you just open the computer. And like mm-hmm. we're doing some renos at home. And for the last four weeks, I've been trying to pick tiles. But every time I open the computer, nine, 10, 12 emails just bounce in. Yeah. I start responding to that. I still not pick the tiles. Oh, God. <laughs> well, you, you may get, get picking them or, 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 the, or, or the, the missus won't be too happy. I, I, I know the tiler. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what, what is one book or, or film that, that's changed your, your view on the world? Can I go back to a previous answer then and take uh, Victus with Nelson Mandela? We'll do that. That's good. I love it. Um, In fact, I've got another strange one. I'm not South African, by the way. I just stick with it. If if there was one one thing that you could change about the construction industry, what what would it be for, for, for the betterment of the industry? Diversification, without a doubt. The the whole um, mantra of this industry at the minute of just being a a bloke's industry is fundamentally wrong and it's people not understanding the real benefits. I can say that with a great deal of enthusiasm. I worked for a a very successful pre-construction manager out of Melbourne and she was one of the most inspiring leaders I've ever worked with. And it's not that she had a, a book full of quotes or anything like that. It was how she went about every single issue and problem that she had. Mm-hmm. It was just all, she was so much more methodical and laid out and understanding. And she timed that with going and picking the kids up mm. yeah, it's from, amazing, to and from school and all these other very, very senior role, just so unbelievably organized. Like it actually annoys me how well organized she is. I, I, but she, she was a very fundamental part of my career. The, the, the value that she brings to the industry is absolutely phenomenal. That's, that's fantastic. I think a, a perfect way to to finish off the the show, Lee. Um, thank you for 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 joining me on this episode. It's been um really insightful. I think that the, the, all the all the listeners out there will get a lot of value from it, mate. So I really appreciate it. Hopefully, I didn't swear too much, mate. I have too many blanks <laughs> to put in there. No, it's all good. It's all good. I appreciate it, Lee. And um, thanks very much, and all, all the best the rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening to Measured with me, Mick Donaghy. Our goal with this podcast is to create a community of construction professionals from a variety of backgrounds and experiences to develop, learn and grow together. As a business, our aim with Franklin and Smith is to become the most respected pre-construction and quantity surveying recruitment agency in Australia within the next five years. Thereafter, our goal is to build a 100-year company that outlives us as owners, but lives on in the careers and legacy projects we recruit for. Listening to this podcast is being a small part of that journey, and we are forever thankful for your time. If you'd like to connect further with our ever-growing community, check out the measured Facebook and LinkedIn pages, as well as our new YouTube channel. This is where we'll be posting the long version of this episode, as well as short snippets of inspiration over the coming weeks. Thanks for listening to Measured. Catch you next time.